June 20th, 2022. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin and Aflamitet Amud Bet. If you count from the bottom of the page, it's 11 lines up, two words before the end of the line. Very briefly, the context of the Gemara is there was this prophet, Ovadyahu, but we don't know that much about his prophecies other than a singular nivuah about Edom. And the Gemara wondered, what was it about him and Edom? Why associate him specifically with a nivuah on about Edom? So the Gemara gave one or two explanations here. Amar Ephraim Miksha'ah, Tamidoshel Rabbi Meir, Mishum Rabbi Meir, Ovadiah Ger Adomi Haya. So the statement, the claim in term of Ephraim Maksha'ah, the student of Rabbi Meir, in the name of Rabbi Meir is that this Ovadiahu was a ger, he was a convert from the nation of Edom. So as a result, his prophecy is somewhat more understandable that he's in turn reflecting and seeing things about his former nation. This is similar to what people say. This is generally speaking what's called an aphorism. This is what the people in the marketplace out in the world say. There's an expression, if you recall, this is a reference to the axe, the, uh, the uh, what's it called, the handle of the axe, which of course is made out of wood, generally speaking, is made from the trees of the forest that it's cutting down. Which means to say, here's this coming from Edom and now, test, and now prophesying about them negatively, like the tree, which was turned into a axe, which will now be used to cut down the trees, sometimes the greatest harm to a nation, to a family, to a unit, is from the very person or individual who came forth from it. The Gemara continues on that thought when it describes something that David HaMelech did. This pasuk describes how David destroyed Moab so much so that he lay out their corpses and he had them somehow measured over the course of the land. He really wiped them out. Now keep in mind where David comes from. David, of course, is a descendant of Ruth. Ruth came from the nation of, you guessed it, Moab. So here he is, David, destroying, utterly decimating Moab. Amar b'yohana, mishum rabbi Shimon ben Yochai. B'yohana in the name of Shimon bar Yochai said, Hainu damre inche, this is similar to what the people say. This accords with that famous aphorism, Mineh ube iba lezil narga, the same type of expression. The handle of the axe is crafted from the very trees of the forest that it's cutting. There's David coming from Moab, going back and striking it. Along the same lines, a different aphorism, a different expression, which has, generally speaking, the same meaning. Ki atar avdimi, when avdimi arrived from Eretz Yisrael, he had a different expression. Amar yarech mitokah masrahat. He said a yarech, a thigh from inside of itself it begins to deteriorate and wither. Germs and uh, infections, rather, uh, generally speaking, as my understanding is of it, uh, come internally. So you have from the flesh, and then it spreads, and you see it and perceive it externally. The topical disease very often become, becomes a reality from what went on inside of it. 
So it's an expression with regard to both Ovadiahu and David in each of their circumstances. They're the one that came from inside and in turn they're now afflicting, they're now striking either with words and prophecies or with their swords and might in war that was David against the people that they came from, Edom and respectively Moab. Continues the Gemaran, it describes in similar context how the king of Moab the king of Moab, Mesha, Melech Moab, did the following at time of war. Pasuk says he took his firstborn son, who was supposed to take the mantle of his monarchy from him, the firstborn of Mesha, Melech Moab. He goes to the top of the gate where they're fighting, it sounds like, and he slaughters his son as an honor, as a sacrifice to fill in the blank. Who was he sacrificing his child to? Ravu Shmuel, there's a mahlok between Rav and Shmuel as to the intent, what was the kavana of Mesha' Melech Moab. Hadam al-Shem Shamayim. One said, and we don't know who said what with regards to Rav and Shmuel, one said he had intent to Shem Shamayim, the true God, our God. He's fighting against Israel. He says, let me appease their God. Maybe he in that moment realized this is the true God. The other opinion of Rav and Shemuel claims, no, he was slaughtering in the more expected way to Abu Dazara. Says Gemara, each of those opinions we need to test and understand based on circumstance, based on what the Navi tells us. If you were to argue that the slaughtering of this Mesha' Melech Moab was Lashem Shamaim, was to the true God, to our God, it's for that reason that we can then understand what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says in the immediate aftermath of his slaughtering, Vahi Kesef Gadola Ali Israel. Kesef Gadol means there's a great anger. God, so to speak, takes it out on Israel. We end up losing lots in this battle. Well, I understand that if he was slaughtering to God, to the true God, God, so to speak, looks at that, heeds his call, looks at the contrast to Am Yisrael, who apparently are not too connected to him. He says, all right, I'm going to help out his side. I understand that. However, Ela. Uh, if the king of Moab was sacrificing to Abu Dazara, therefore, so to speak, God decided to take it out on Israel. I don't understand. I mean, okay, maybe we weren't on the right track, but he's slaughtering his son for Abu Dazara, for his own idol, his own pagan worship. So then why was there an anger, so to speak, from God? Answers the Gemara, perhaps we have to understand this, even if there was a slaughter and a sacrifice to his gods, lowercase g, to Abu Dazara, we can still understand why in that moment it was appropriate, so to speak, for God to take it out on Israel. How so? Because after all, understanding a contradiction that Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi will resolve will in turn answer this question. What's the contradiction? Ketib, on the one hand, the Pasuk says in Sefer Yechizkel, You didn't do like the ways of those non-Jews, those pagan idolaters who surrounded you. Fantastic, that's very nice. That's what in Perek of Yechezkel. But then the Pasuk says, six chapters later, in Perek the complete contrast, the opposite. You did like the ways of the Avdazara. You did like the ways of the surrounding nations. Which one is it? Yechezkel, did they change that quickly? You're prophesying about the same people, are you not? Answers Rabbi 
יהושע בן לוי, כמתוקנין שבהם לא עשיתם, כמקולקלין שבהם עשיתם. The answer goes as follows, you guys did follow them in some respects, and others you didn't, both are rotten. You followed them in the wrongful respects, you followed the ways of Meshach Melech Moav, you slaughtered your own children to Avodah Zarah, like the ways of the king of Moav. You didn't follow the mitukanim shebahim, the proper ones amongst them. Who are the proper kings and individuals amongst the, of the Avdazara, the other nations? Rashi gives an example. Eglon Melech Moav. Eglon Melech Moav. When Ehud comes to speak with him and mentions God, that he's going to talk about God, Eglon gets up. He gives honor. He gives respect to God, which in turn says Yehezkel to the people. You see, you guys follow the ways of Meshat Melech Moav. Avdazara, slaughtering, wrongful sacrifice. You didn't follow the Eglon Melech Moab, so there's no contradiction. Eglon did the right thing, at least in that moment. Well, if we understand this in context, says the Gemara, it's for that reason then that as Meshach Melech Moab gets to the top of the wall and slaughters his son, even the Shem Avodazaras, so to speak, it's the moment in which God, so to speak, remembers, hey, wait a second, you see what he's doing? My people aren't doing very differently, and as a result, it takes it out on us, which means it's, so to speak, a moment of quote-unquote inspiration, a realization, quote-unquote, in which, if that's the way he's acting, oh my goodness, my people are the same, there's no reason that they should be winning at this battle. So that's the resolution in turn of the Gemara with regards to if this Meshat Melech Moab was slaughtering L'Shem Avodah Zarah. Again, if he was slaughtering L'Shem, if he was sacrificing L'Shem Shamaim, we understand why there was a Kesef Gadol Al Yisrael. We understand why we in turn lost that war. We lost a lot of lives. It's turning to the right way. We're going the wrong way. If alternatively it's L'Shem Avodah Zarah, we understand it from the vantage point of Yoshua ben Levi. So to speak, HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at this circumstance and says, my people are no different than this king. You see him? Oh my goodness, my people. Time to take it out on them. What's that? Uh, so interesting, but then again, if we're... Then again, if we're losing and doing the same Avodah Zarah, so it might just leave us bewildered and confused. Says the Gemara, It's the Pasuk says at the end over there that they then fled from Moab. Again, this is the war against Moab, the slaughtering of the sun, us, God, having this anger, so to speak, us losing our lives and then fleeing. And the Pasuk says, Vayashuvu, they returned La'aretz, and Rashi points out, it doesn't say le'arsam, to their land, it rather says la'aretz, to the land. What's a reference to the land? It should say, they ran back home, they ran back to their land. Says the Gemara, Mar bihanina bar papa be'otasha, at that very time, Yaredu rishi'ehen shel Yisrael madrega ha'tahtona kivyachol, when we talk about Am Yisrael in these circumstances where we did the wrong thing, and many occasions the Gemara doesn't refer to us directly as Yisrael, similar to the Mishteya v'hashverosh, mipenem manit hayevu, says the Gemara, Masech Megillah, son'ehem shel Yisrael kiliya be'otasha. Why did the haters of Israel get bad decree and omen in that moment. What are you talking about? The story of Mordechai and Esther was the Jews who had the bad decree against them from God, from Ahasuerus, from Haman. 
The Gemara sometimes is euphemistic. Instead of talking directly about what it's saying, you see the Jews did something wrong. Am Yisrael were bad. We call it, quote-unquote, the haters of Yisrael, but we're referring really to Yisrael. In turn, the statement here in the Gemara goes as follows. In that moment, we have to see ground, land as the rock bottom. We were decreed upon ourselves. We got decreed upon ourselves, rather. The rock bottom, terrible decree. That's how we refer to earth, the opposite, of course, of heavens. This, in this moment, we literally hit rock bottom in terms of our approach, our relationship with God, and the prospective future. It was a bad moment. So instead of reading the Pasuk just in its most literal sense, we went back home, we also hit the bottom. All right, says the Gemara lastly, and Rashi explains the reason this last line appears in the Gemara is because it brings us back to the Dirashah we had earlier by Avadiyahu, the Navi, the Pasuk said that he was very me'od yare elokim. He was yare elokim me'od. And the Gemara contrasted that to Abraham Avinu. If you recall Abraham, it says, Atayadati ki yere elohim ata. And it said, so to speak, the Torah describes and the Navi describes Avadiyahu as quote unquote in his Yerachamayim greater than Abraham. We talked about that then. But that's paying attention to the difference between. Me'od and just, right? Yireh Elohim and Yireh Elohim Me'od. So the Gemara says there's a person in Navi who's referred to as something Me'od as well. So let's go and pay attention to her. Who's that? Hana'ara Yafa'ad Me'od. This is a reference to Avishag uh, Hashunamit, right? This is a woman who was brought to David at the end of his life when he's having a difficult time. The Pasuk describes how he's very cold, and as a result, they bring this woman, Avishag Hashunamit, she's Yafa'ad Me'od, and she was for him a Sochenet, but he doesn't have relations. It appears to interpretations of the Gemara elsewhere, but that's the statement. Now, her reference is Ad Me'od. She's beautiful, Ad Me'od. In other words, Ad means until. Sometimes we can read the word ad as until and including. But generally speaking, if I say it was until, you say there was a boundary, there was a border. So it sounds like from the pasuk she was pretty, she was beautiful until very much, instead of just describing her as very much beautiful. This, of course, is in direct contrast to Sarah. Ben Ishai points out even Rivka, but certainly Rivka, certainly Sarah, as Abraham is going down to Egypt, he says, right, The description about her is, uh, well, let's see, it says the Gemara, the pasuk, excuse me, wrong pasuk that I quoted by Abraham. The pasuk says when he, she was brought into Egypt, Kiyafahi me'od, Rashi cites the pasuk, Kiyafahi me'od, the pasuk talks about Sarah being Yafahi me'od. So it doesn't say ad me'od until a lot, it says she was very much beautiful, not until very much, but rather very much. The contrast in turn between this beautiful woman brought for the king virgin woman, as the Pesukim described in the Navi, and Sarah is that she doesn't even make it halfway. What do you mean she doesn't even make yeah, Sarah goes beyond Yafa. She goes, Yafa, ad, yafa me'od. She's very beautiful, whereas Avishag Hashunamit is Ad me'od, until very much. Hadran alaq, ehadine mamonot. So that ends this perik. And 
ushers us into the next pedic, which is a very short one. This next pedic describes, once we finished this last pedic, I know it was some time ago, but the last Mishnah in the, in the fourth pedic of Masech, Sanhedrin described, how would you threaten, how would you uh, instill within the witnesses a certain fear, how would you make them clear about the circumstance, the severity of the situation, and the next pedic in turn says, all right, once they accepted that, once you made the seriousness felt, once the severity of the situation is perceived by all, how do you then check these witnesses to make certain that they're telling the truth, that their words check out, that we're not going to be erring in our judgment? Says the Mishnah, Hayu otan besheva hakirot. Sheva, of course, means seven. Hakira, lahkor, generally speaking, means to investigate. There would be seven obligatory investigations that were set forth as questions to the witnesses. The Gemara will derive this from Pesukim, but in our Mishnah we'll have a Mahloket about whether it was seven or three. Regardless, let's see what those questions were, and we'll contrast those very quickly to what's called Bidikot. Bidikot will be other questions. Uh, additional questions. Seven were necessary questions, and then there were other questions, and we'll see there were halachic differences between these. Again, seven obligatory, the rest were all optional, but you're supposed to do those as well, and there was a difference with regards to how they respond, how I'll in turn treat these witnesses uh, based on their response. But let's see what these sheva hakirot, before we get ahead of ourselves, what were they? Be'ezo shavua. First question that you would ask these witnesses separately is what shavua? Shavua of course, milashon sheva. There are seven cycle, seven shemitah cycles within a yovel cycle. Every fifty years, of course, you have seven segments of seven. Every seven of those and culminates with a seven, which is the shemitah year. So you would ask them, in which one of the seven segments did this act take place? You're now testifying about someone that the hayav mitah. Let's say now, what point? Did this take place? Let's start basic. Let's start general. At what, in which one of the segments of Shemitah did this take place? If it's in the first few years after Yovil, so it's in the first. If it's after, it's in the ninth year, it's in the second, and so forth. That was the... But you're asking them not, not specific yet. General time period. Which Shemitah cycle of the seven was it? We go further, but 100%, Charlie, we're looking to pinpoint the date, and we would ask it slowly and meticulously, and we'll discuss why in a moment. The next question, Be'ezo Shanahaya, excuse me, Be'ezo Shana, what year was it? Now, in each one of those sevens, of course, there's gonna be seven years. So you told me it was in the first segment of the of the Yovel, which means there's seven years for it. Which one of them? So then the fifth or whatever it is. There is a Chodesh, which one of the 12 months did it take place in? Bekama Bachodesh, what date of the month? There is a Yom, on what day of the week did it take place? Be is a sha'ah, from to split the day into 12 or so segments. So uh, which one of those hours, the segments did it take place in? Be is a makom, what was the placement of this act? Where was it? What was the location? These are the seven questions that were asked. Now Rashi points out that it seems a little bit redundant. Maybe cut to the chase and just ask him what day of the week and what, you know, just ask him something more specific instead of being general. And Rashid points out that what we're effectively looking to do over here is to establish Edim Zomimin. Of course, Edim Zomimin is witnesses who are found to be conspiring witnesses. If there's a witness who's not telling the truth and two other witnesses say about that witness, Imanu Hiyitim, you were with us on that day in another place, you displace them and in turn, what do we do to them? Ve'asitim no. 
punish them as they had conspired to do to the other person. Now, in order to find the hazama, the angle for other witnesses to understand that this witness is a conspiring false witness, you want to ask a lot of questions. Sometimes I'll speak to you, uh, specifically I'll say, you know, it was June 22nd. I say, June 27th, doesn't ring a bell. Instead, if I say to you, it was about around the end of June, I start, oh, now that already triggered in your mind. Around what time it was, it already inspires you to think a little bit more seriously about this. Which means to say, we would ask all these questions so that the word gets out and the uh, understanding is felt as to everything they're saying so people can hear and in turn become inspired to come and be mezim, make certain that these witnesses, if they're false, are found to be false. That's the first opinion though in the Mishnah that there were Sheva Hakirot, again, which the Gemara will derive from Pesukim Rabbi Yoseomer. They would only ask three questions, three obligatory questions. Be'ezeyom. Very simply, cut to the chase. What day was it? Let them answer which day, month, so on and so forth. There is a sha'a, you ask them what hour during the day, and there is a makom, and of course what the location was, which is perhaps the most, or second to most important, the location, if you're going to be mezim, if you're going to find this person to be a conspiring witness, it can't be factual, it can't be, I think and I know different than you, that would be a heideh hakhasha. You need to displace them, you need to say you were in a different place than the one you mentioned. Okay, that's the mention with regards to the sheva hakirot. Beyond that, it's what's called bidikot. Bidikot is beyond that, questions that were asked that were additional questions, like what? Makirina tem oto. Did you, witnesses, do you, did you recognize the person who was killed? Now they're already entering into this to try to understand the circumstance. And maybe these witnesses have some sort of personal angle. Hitartembo or hitratembo, did you give a hatra'a? Did you uh, warn the person about whom you're accusing and testifying that he did wrong, he killed? Did he get a warning? We don't kill if they didn't get a warning, a hatra'a. Uh, continue. Uh, if it was a circumstance not of murder, which we've been assuming until now, what if it was Avodazara? I mean, we could have been talking about Avodazara, but we've been painting it as murder. What if the testifying this guy did Avodazara? So we'd ask him the following types of questions. Again, these are called Bidikot, not Hakirot. Etmi Avad, which Avodazara? Was it the Baal Peor? Was it the Markolis? Which one of the Avodazara, which one of the idols was this individual you're testifying about worshipping? Ubame Avad, what did he do? Did he bow? Did he slaughter? Did he uh, burn? What was it that he did? There are different, did he throw rocks to it? You're trying to figure out. Now again, you're trying to figure out several things. You're trying to check the witnesses against one another. You want to see that they testify the same way. Bidikot are really for that purpose. Hakirot are in order to turn the person to potential edzomem. You need to make certain their details so that you can then catch them on it. Over here, it's to determine whether these two witnesses are saying the same thing or not. Because even though these questions, oh, the guy says, I swam to Avodazara, what's the difference? Specific details. No, no, the specific details are important because I want to check out that the two of you are saying the same thing. If you're not saying the same thing, then in such a circumstance, we're going to throw out this testimony. Ubame Avad, kol hamarbe bidikot, says the Mishnah, the more bidikot you add, 
the greater and the better it is. Why is it better? Because in such a circumstance, it's saving more lives. By asking more questions and potentially catching the witnesses on uh, false, on, on uh, con- contradictory statements, well, in, t- in turn, you're saving lives. Indeed, says the Mishnah, it tells the following story. The Gemara will elaborate upon this much later on Daf Pe Alif Amud Bet, if I'm not mistaken. And the, state, the statement in turn, the, the, the references to Rabbi Yohanan, Rabban Yohanan Ben Zakai. They call him Ben Zakai. Uh, perhaps it was when he was, I think the Mephashim point out, when he was still just a student by Hilel. Uh, that suggests further that maybe the reason he was known as Ben Zakai is because of this case. He became notorious because he was Mezakeh, because he brought forth the merit of this person's life. But what was the question that he was asking? Uksete enim. Uksete enim refers to a fig tree where the figs sprout out of. It means the stem of the fig. So he asked them, he said, oh, you said it was under a fig tree where this crime took place? Let me understand where's where the figs, okay, so maybe I ask the question of the figs, but furthermore, the figs, did they have a thick stem or a thin stem? That's a, what type of question is that? What does that have to do with anything? Now, if either one of, we'll see this in a moment, if either one of the witnesses say, in Yodea, all right, that's not going to change it. I don't know. You don't need to know the answer to everybody. However, if me, if I'm a little know-it-all, and my friend is a know-it-all as well, and each one of us give them, it was thick, and the other guy says thin, we didn't need to answer that question, but we were so certain about it, done, you throw out the testimony, oh, brilliant, you found it now, <laughs> one second, but the Dayanim were so certain, this is what the Gemara talks about in Daf Pe'alif, that the guy actually murdered, so Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai, beautiful, you caught him, you fish. Now what are you going to do with the per- person who we're certain is a murderer? So the Gemara describes how we would incarcerate them, we'd put them in jail, we'd make certain, we'd lead them to a slow death and deterioration, we wouldn't treat them all too well, but we're not setting forth a regular death sentence and penalty in the Sanhedrin, in the Betin. Ma ben hakirot What's the difference between those first seven or three, according to Biyose, and those bidikot, which are an infinite amount, the questions to the extent of Rabban Yohanan ben Zakai, the thickness or thinness of the stems of the te'inim, what's the halachic uh, difference? In other words, we understand the difference practically. What's the difference with regards to how they answer and how we check it? Hakirot edutan betela. When it comes to hakirot, those seven fundamental questions, place, time, day, in those circumstances, if one of the two witnesses says, or even if there's a hundred witnesses, if one of them says, it's what we call which means to say, I can no longer set forth that this is again means where you're able to catch these witnesses as being conspiring witnesses by determining that their words are contradicted by displacing them. Now every testimony needs to check out needs to be you have to be able to determine that they're really telling the truth because I could check it if I can't check it because one of them said I don't know done khalas. it's not a testimony at all no no but my friend doesn't there's another one doesn't matter if there's one person who's not able to be huzam we throw out the whole testimony that's when it comes to hakirot when it comes to bidikot it has nothing to do with and as a result if one of the witnesses says I'm not certain and it's not a substantive question 
We learn Masechim Makot together, Charlie. The Mishnah says in Masechim Makot that we have, because the Pasuk in the Torah says, And the question, of course, is if it says two, what do you need to mention three as well? The understanding is several fold, but fundamentally the two is equated to the three and the three to the two to the extent that we look at them as a segment. And therefore, even though you have two more who are kosher and one of them, all right, it's not great. No, they're a segment. You throw it out. Well, as a result, as well, says the Mishnah over here in, in Bidikot, if one of them says, Eni yodea edutan ena betela. Again, so, so what's the difference? Ehadomer in hakirot eni yodea edutan betela. In Bidikot, on the first wide line at the end, Ehadomer eni yodea, vafilu shenayim omrim, eno anu yodeim. What if they both say, I don't know, I wasn't looking at the stems of the, of the, of the figs. I was looking at the action. Edutan uh, kayemet. In such a circumstance, we uphold the testimony. Continues the Mishnah, it says, Ehad hakirot vehad bedikot. However, in contrast to the difference that we just mentioned, there's something they hold in common, both hakirot, again, those seven, place, time, date, uh, and bedikot, the uh, ancillary, specific additional details. They are similar in what respect, bizman shemakhishin hakhasha, of course, means they contradict one another. Edutan betelaf, I'm a know-it-all, and I say it was thick uh, stem, and he says it was a thin stem, even though we didn't need an answer, and even if we both said an iodea, it would be fine. We both gave a different answer. Edutan betelaf, which of course is applicable in hakirot as well. What a which ones? The, the hakirot. Hakirot. So if, if contradict each other. Contradict, we're not going to ask Bidikot. Chalas, they con- contradict in Hakirot done. What if they check down Hakirot? All seven were identical. All seven, we don't have Aideh Hazama. We continue asking questions. It's only if they checked out. Yeah, you're right. If they, if they knocked each other out in Hakirot, we're finished. We close the case. We happen to have seen this. I know we're a little bit out of order. We happen to have seen this already later in the Gemara, but we saw it cited from this Mishnah. That, that, what if one says it was on the second of the month and the other says it was on the third of the month? So you say that's a hakhasha, whether in Bedikot or Hakir, certainly in Hakirot. Edutan betela says the Mishnah, Edutan kayemet. We accept the testimony. What are you talking about? One said the second, one said the third. Sheze yodea be'ibburo shel chodesh, veze eno yodea be'ibburo shel chodesh. We assume. We determine, and that's what the Gemara was talking about, are we putting the words in their mouths or not? But regardless, we determine that one of them knew about Ibur HaChodesh and the other didn't. Ibur HaChodesh, of course, is the impregnation of the month, when the month is 30 days instead of 29 days. It, once upon a time, was not a standardized, as we know it is today, as Harambam makes clear in his Mishneh Torah, and we know which months are Malay and which ones are Haser. Once upon a time, it was a determination, a month-by-month determination. Not everybody knew right away. Not everybody knew throughout. Of course, made a very interesting Rosh Chodesh. How many days were you doing Yehishem? But, specifically for our purposes, two or three, it's not crazy. One of them knew that the last month was 30, and as a result, today's two, and the other one didn't. Or the opposite. One of them knew, and even though the Mishnah says it this way, the flip way. One of them knew the last month was not Me'ubar, and this one thought it was Me'ubar, and that's why they have Akhasha. Alternatively, what if they're two days off? Ze'omer b'shlosha ve'chad omer If they're two days off, I have no way of explaining 
explaining that. There's no such thing as adding two days to a month or subtracting two days from a month. In such a circumstance, we throw out the testimony. We say it's, there's no way of resolving this. What about Keep in mind, we're talking about we're dealing about segmenting the day into 12 or so hours, right? In such a circumstance, one says it was in the second hour and the other one says it was in the third hour. We accept their testimony. Why are you accepting their testimony? We assume two and three hours, especially before you have watches, before you have an easy way of actually determining time. You're looking outside between two, second and third child's maniot of the day. It's not so different. What about if it's from the third to the fifth hour? Our assumption over there is you don't make that sort of mistake. Two hours difference. Rabbi Yehuda disagrees. He says even between three and five, the Gemara Masech Pesachim and Daf Yodalif has three ways of interpreting the opinion of Biuda, but the most simple interpretation, the common denominator, of course, is according to Biuda, our assumption is that the difference between the third and fifth hour of the day is not significant enough for us to determine that this is a problematic testimony. They made some sort of mistake. However, says Biuda, even I agree, there is a problem with regards to discrepancies in hours. If one says in the fifth hour and the other one says in the seventh hour, What's the difference? I don't understand. It's a two-hour difference. Two shahot zimaniot difference. It says the difference is where is the sun in the sky? Between the fifth and the seventh hour, the sun's already beginning its descent from in our vision. And as a result, you don't make that sort of mistake. One doesn't say fifth where it's quote-unquote in the east and the other one say seventh where it's quote-unquote in the west. That wouldn't happen. Continues the Mishnah after it describes the questions we asked to the in terms of determining what's taking place, what took place, and how to establish them either as uh, accepted witnesses or not. These were all questions that were asked to one of the witnesses. And then we bring in the second witness, Ubotkin Oto. We ask him the same questions. All right, so we were, we, we were, I was talking about it in plural, the Mishnayim was talking about it in plural, but effectively we're talking to them separately. Otherwise you can't check whether they contradict one another. They just look at one another and say the same thing. You bring one in, you leave the other one in the holding room, and then you bring in the other one. If their words are mechuvan, in other words, they are symmetrical, they, they match up one with the other. You open up the case, and you open up the case. We saw this earlier in Daflamidalit, if I'm not mistaken, the explanation to what potchin bizchut means. You have in such a circumstance, you open up, uh, and you, uh, maybe Daflamid Bet it was, Rashi says it was on Daflamid Bet, and the statement in turn is the first statement made in court is about zechut. We turn to the nidon, to the person who we're testifying about and we're judging, and we say to him, listen, if you didn't murder, then you're off, then you're okay. You open up, you want this scene to be painted in a positive light, in zechut. You don't want the person who's being judged against, nor the witnesses, nor even the judges, to have in their mind from the onset, this is a bad case, here's a murder, you're potchin bizchut, that's how we interpreted, at least Abaye and Rava there on Daf Lamid Bet explained what potchin bizchut was. Amar ehad min ha'edim, what if one of the witnesses says, yesh li lilamed alav zechut, I have something, now he's not just testifying about what he saw, after all, he's testifying negatively. He says, no, but I have a way to be melamed zechut in order to bring life for this guy. I have a detail and a, I have a catch in this case, which will change. We saw earlier there were three rows of students in the Betin of 23 in front of the judges. And then what if one of them raises, I have something to say. 
in such a circumstance, again, alternatively, if one of the witnesses, one of this Talmidim says, I have something to say, in both of those circumstances, we keep them quiet. Once the witnesses, we say, you're involved in this case, you're testifying. You can't now mix in and try to say something. Amongst the Talmidim in the front two rows, we say, we're not interested in hearing this case, generally speaking, in the Torah law, in the rabbinical court, we want to save lives. If you're a Dayan, you could talk about Chava. If you're a Talmid, you're not really on our court, you're just watching, you're observing, uh, keep quiet. However, alternatively, if one of those three rows of students who are training to be a Dayan, who are Dayanim to a certain extent, not the witness, but rather one of the Talmidim says, I have Zechut, I have a way of making him righteous, I have merit that I have, they bring him up, they put him amongst the other judges, he feels good about himself. Even if they determine, a oh, guy, he sounded like he knew something, I don't really know anything. We leave him amongst us the rest of the day, we don't want to embarrass him, we leave him on the court together with us. At the end of the day, all right, go find your seat where you belong, you didn't actually have something to say. Alternatively, if there is something positive, we listen to him, we include him. Listen to that. Even if the guy, the nidon, the person they're testifying about says, I have a way of defending myself. Not generally what we're assuming in a rabbinic court of law. We think about that in American law, perhaps. We listen to him. However, we need to determine. He actually has something substantive to what he's saying. We're not just letting him open his mouth and say, Hick in, just, uh, I don't know, uh, continue talking and try to bog us down. Has to be Mamash Bidvarav. We'll continue with this tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Amen, amen.